Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. I'm going to read a couple names to you, and as I'm reading these names, I want you to think, what do these names have in common? So we have Frain Seeluck, we have Costas Mitsotakis, Henry Zeeland, and Roy Sullivan. What do those names have in common? Besides that they're all kind of goofy names, besides the fact that you've probably never heard of a single one of them, what those men have in common is that they all share the title of the world's most unlucky men those guys. They're guys who have just had bad luck, you could say. So Costas Mitsotakis, it sounds like he's Japanese, uh, if I had to guess. Costas Mitsotakis, he's actually uh, Spanish, but he was the only resident in his small Spanish village not to win a share of a $922 million jackpot. Uh, Everybody bought a lottery ticket except for him in the El Gordo lottery. Yeah, he's the only one who didn't buy a lottery ticket. So all of his friends were cashing in, his whole village, and he just had to sit and watch. Uh, Henry Ziglin, uh, his story goes that in 1893, he broke up with his girlfriend. She was in love with him, Maisie Tickner. That sounds like uh, an 1893 sort of name, doesn't it? Mary Tickner. Well, she was so distraught that she took her own life. And Her brother said, I'm going to avenge my sister's death. And he went out to Henry's farm and took a shot at him with his pistol. Missed, hit a tree. The bullet stuck in that tree. Ten years later, Henry's clearing his land, felling some trees. And he comes across that tree. He recognizes it. I'm not going to cut down that tree. I'm going to blow that thing up with dynamite. And so he took and loaded it with dynamite. The tree exploded. The bullet came out, hit him in the chest, and killed him. Uh, <clears throat> what was the, Roy Sullivan, oh, that's right. Roy Sullivan is known as the human lightning rod. This man was struck by lightning, not once, not twice, seven times he was struck by lightning. Uh, that's pretty rough. And then the guy who takes the cake, Frain Selick. Frain Selick was a uh, music teacher from Croatia. Not exactly one of the most, you know, risky occupations you could think of, a music teacher, but this man had the worst luck ever. It started when he was catapulted from a moving train, thrown down into a river where he suffered a broken arm and hypothermia. He lived through that. Later, he was flying in an airplane. The door fell off the airplane. He was sucked out of the airplane, hit the ground, lived. He was in a bus crash. After that, the bus drove off of a cliff into a different river. He survived that particular incident. After that, his gas tank in his car exploded. He had another car, different car, fuel pump, caught fire to his car. Uh, He was hit by a bus. And then he was run off the road by a big rig. He jumped out of his car just in time to see his car go off of a, a, a cliff. Man, you want to talk about some bad luck. Bad day. I thought I was having a bad morning because I couldn't find one of my flip-flops today. But, but these guys, they're having some serious, serious bad luck. But we can relate to having a bad day. We can relate to having a bad week and a bad month. We can relate, some of us, to having a bad year, even. But the question isn't whether or not we're going to have difficult days. We are. 
Life is tough. The question is, as Christians, how do we navigate those difficult days? And Psalm 71, boy, it's great because the author of Psalm 71 gives us some solid, some very practical, some real applicable direction and help. Uh, on when those bad days show up, when those difficult seasons arrive, how is it that we navigate those seasons? And the, the author of Psalm 71, he's unknown. We don't know who the author actually is. And, you know, there's a lot of debate that happens uh, around this psalm uh, about who the author is. Many Bible scholars, theologians, believe that, that David was actually the author of this psalm. And to be honest, this psalm has a very... David-esque sort of vibe to it. Stylistically, it seems like David. When, when David was on the run from his son Absalom in his older uh, years, it, it would really fit that. But the truth of the matter is, we don't know. And uh, it doesn't matter if we know or not. And that's what cracks me up about these debates that go on about authorship. Well, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And who wrote Psalm 71? All these different things. It doesn't matter who the human author was because we know who the divine author was of the entire Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the scriptures are God-breathed. That the Holy Spirit inspired men to put pen to paper and record God's word for us. And so it is funny. It's interesting to dive into that stuff, but it doesn't really actually matter because we know that the scriptures that we are studying this morning, that we hold in our hand, they're God's word to his creation. And we can study him that way. And so this morning, as we look at Psalm 71, uh, we're going to look at it just like that. Like, we don't know who the author is. We're just going to kind of dive into it and assume that the author is anonymous, humanly speaking, but knowing that it is from the Lord in all reality. The one thing we do know about the author is that, that it was an old saint. It was somebody who was uh, older in age. They had lived life uh, and that they were facing great trouble. They were surrounded by enemies, by wicked men who desired their hurt. Uh, they were being threatened and, and mocked. Uh, but despite their situation, despite the trouble that they're in, and this was a season, this wasn't an afternoon, this wasn't a, a sliver or a stubbed toe, this was a season where people were trying to kill them. And despite of that terrible uh, situation, those, those circumstances, we're going to see that the psalmist was unshakable. That they were solid in their faith and that that unshakability was based on a lifetime of evidence that the Lord was going to see them through. And although the psalmist describes their difficulty, really where they land is that God is good. That God is at work. That God is going to see him through. And so he's just going to praise his name. And I don't know about you guys, but that's the way I want to be. When, when I'm going through difficulty, when I'm going through a, a season of trial, I don't want to be melting down and freaking out. And I want to be... Solid and say, you know what, Lord? I know you got me. I'm going to trust you. And Psalm 71 kind of gives us some of those tools to say, how can we get there like he got there? How can we be trusting and full of joy and full of praise and prayer even when things are difficult? And so we're going to jump right in. I'm going to read through the entirety of the psalm. Uh, so, so I would encourage you to, to flip into your, in your Bibles to Psalm 71 and just track with me because uh, if you don't, you're just going to get sick of listening to me read. I'm just being honest. Uh, Psalm 71, <clears throat> verse 1 says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. 
Deliver me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. But you, I have, uh, by you, pardon me, I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me. And those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed to our adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more in your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, uh, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I will declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who has come. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe trouble shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also, with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness. Oh, my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. So the psalmist, man, difficult time. Little bits and pieces of what they were going through uh, throughout uh, the psalm here. Uh, In verse 1, uh, they were ridiculed by those around them. You say, Lord, don't, don't, don't let me be put to shame. Don't let those around me have victory over me, my enemies. Uh, the psalmist was feeling very trapped. Um, there, there was no way out. They're saying, Lord, help. Help me to escape. There was really no way of escape outside of uh, the Lord intervening. Uh, they felt like they were held in the grip of the wicked and cruel there in verse 4. He was a wonder in verse 7. Now, a wonder doesn't mean like, wow, that guy's amazing. Look, he's a wonder. No, the wonder is like, wow, that guy has really gone through it. That guy has seen some difficult days. It's a wonder he's still alive. It's a wonder his faith is intact. He was a wonder. People would look at his life and say, whoa, dude, I don't know how you're doing it. That is, that's a rough season you're going through. Uh, there was slander, there was rumors flying against him. He had enemies that were conspiring against him to set traps. They were just waiting for an opportunity that they might take his life. Pretty severe, uh, if you think about it. And then they mocked his faith. They said, oh man, you're holding on to God. God has forsaken you. God's not even there for you. Look around in your life. Where's the Lord? And they would say to each other, boy, now this is our opportunity to get him that God has forsaken them. Man, what a difficult, difficult time. But still, there is this unshakable tone. There's this unshakable trust. Still, as we go through the psalm, there's joy and there's this heart of praise that the psalmist has. How? How, when everything is falling apart around him, when he has people trying to kill him, does he have this heart of joy? 
I want to look at several things uh, today that really will help us when we're in that sort of situation. Hopefully there won't be anybody looking to kill you. But, you know, when you're having a bad, bad day. Uh, and the first thing that we can really take note of as far as the psalmist uh, is concerned is that the psalmist was a man of the word. He was one who studied God's word. He was one who hid God's word in his heart. He's one who knew God's word through and through. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because when you study through the Psalms and when you get to Psalm 71, what you notice is that there are a lot of references to other Psalms and uh, different scriptures through this particular Psalm. References to Psalm 31, Psalm 29, uh, references to Psalm uh, 70, 35, references to Exodus 15. And, And so he knew the word of God so well, he was so familiar with it, then in his hour of need, as he opened his mouth, that's what poured out was, was the scripture of the Lord. Now, how many of us can say that? Boy, when I was having a rough day, I opened my mouth and out came the scriptures. A lot of us could say the opposite. I was having a rough day and I opened my mouth and I don't want to share that with you this morning because we're at church. <clears throat> but wouldn't it be wonderful if we said, boy, I opened up my mouth and what came pouring out was, was God's word. It reminds me of, of Jesus in the wilderness. You remember when he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days. He was there, or he, was, he fasted for 40 days, and he was tempted after that. And so, you know, after 40 days of not eating, Satan showed up in the wilderness and tempted him. Remember, he said, well, if you're the son of God, if you're really who you say you are, Jesus, turn those rocks into stone. Or, no, turn those rocks into stone. That would be really easy to do. Look, voila, I turned the rocks into stone. No, turn the rocks into bread, <laughs> is what, what Satan said to Jesus. There in Matthew chapter 4. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He said, no, he used the word to combat the temptation. Good word for us, by the way. But the temptation didn't stop there. Again, Satan said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up their hands, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And lastly, Satan brought Jesus up to the high place and said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So it's interesting, in that time of temptation, in that time, it was a a difficult situation for Jesus. What did he have right there? Boom, on the tip of his tongue, it was the word. And all of those scriptures, by the way, are from the same area of Deuteronomy. So it's like, that's what Jesus was studying through. And so as he's getting to that place, man, he's got God's word right there on his heart and and, and, and in his mouth. And it's so important for us to uh, fill ourselves with the Lord's word. Because again, I found that what I pour into my life is what flows out of my life also. And when I consume, you know, crude humor and worldly movies and, and funny shorts and different clips, I'm prone to lean that direction. I, I, I'm, I'm building up and feeding that side of my person, that carnal nature. But when I study the scriptures, when I'm plugged in, when, man, I find that really uh, as I read through the scriptures, just like the psalmist, it's just like Jesus. I, I, I run into different situations throughout the day where I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's what my morning devotion was about. We just, we just talked. I, mean, I, we, I just read this this morning, and let me share this with you. And Have you guys ever experienced that? You read your morning devotion, and all day you're like, it came up again. 
You've got to be kidding me. So as we were preparing to move into this building, uh, I learned to sew. My lovely wife taught me how to sew. And these back curtains that separate the children's wing, they're working pretty good, actually. They separate the children's wing from us. Boy, there's so much stitching in that. For weeks, we were in there just like sewing, sewing, sewing. But the interesting thing is, as we're sewing, Dave shows up to work. He comes in as we're sewing. He's like, dude, my morning devotion, I didn't want to say anything. It was like when we were coming to the end of the curtain project. He said, I didn't want to say anything, but my morning devotions have all been all about the, the, the construction of the tabernacle and the curtains and all the rest. I'm like, what? Like your devotion was about the curtains of the tabernacle and we've been sewing curtains for our sanctuary? Like that doesn't just happen. That's the Lord. And when we're in the word, Boy, that's just what flows out of our life. It's, it really is an amazing thing uh, that happens. Pour God's word into your life that it might pour out. Because so often what we pour into our lives is held on this little device that I've got in my back pocket. We spend a lot of time on the screen saying, well, what's going on here? And then the news and the weather on my Instagram feed and on Twitter and, and all the rest. Do you know what the, the average time an adult spends uh, on their phone a day, like screen time, six hours and 58 minutes. Six, I, I don't know who these people are. It seems a, like a little bit on the extreme side. Maybe I'm just an old fogey, but that seems like a lot of, of screen time. The point is we spend a lot of time on our phones. It, it's really important. When's the last time you drove away from your house and was like, oh man, where's my Bible? Turn around, we gotta go back. Right? <laughs> when's the last time you were like, oh, my phone? And I get it, it's helpful, but what if we... What if we took God's word that way? Like, oh, I, got, I can't, I got to find my Bible before I go anywhere, you know? Uh, it's important. And the psalmist was able to weather a lot of those storms because, and he was filled with God's word, and so he had that reference point. Also, this uh, psalmist, the author of the psalm, he was a mature believer. He was one who had walked with the Lord uh, for, for much of his life, from when he was a little guy to the time he was an old man. There was spiritual maturity that this believer had. And here's the thing. Spiritual maturity is so important for us as Christians. It's so important when we go to weather the difficult seasons in our lives to be spiritually mature. It's interesting in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, uh, the author of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews kind of gives this, this, this stern talking to, to the Hebrews. Like, hey, you guys should be teachers by now. You should be teaching the word, and yet you need to be reintroduced to the basics all over again. You're babies spiritually, and you ought to be adults spiritually. Uh, spiritual maturity is so important. I have a, a four-year-old grandson, Josiah, little Jojo. I love him. He's so smiley, and he's getting to that stage in his life where he laughs. He's no longer a little alien thing. He's like a, a little person, and I hold him up, and he's just so fun. I love him. He's a, the happiest little kid. If you get to see him today, he'll make you smile. I guarantee it. But Jojo, you know, there he is right there. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to point you out, sis. <clears throat> but he, he, he drools all over himself. He wears diapers. He just, like, will randomly puke on himself, and it's no big deal because he's four months. That's what we expect. I have a two-year-old grandson, uh, and he's amazing too. I love that little guy. Uh, he's potty training right now, little Ira. And, uh, you know, 
we expect a little more out of him. Like, we're all, come on, buddy. It's not the end of the world, you know, because he's still learning. But we expect, because he's, he's potty training. Uh, my son is five, Abram. Now, he's past the drooling phase, the barfing on himself phase. He's not in diapers anymore. I'm proud to say we've, we've tackled that, that, that thing in his life there. Uh, but he has these things where he just melts down. I want to go to the park so bad. And, okay, we please just go to, he's been calling the park the jungle gym. Like, can we just please go to the jungle gym? No, buddy, I'm sorry. We can't go to the jungle gym. And, and we don't allow that, but there's some leeway there because he's five. Now I'm 45. Five's like, man, I just want to go to the park so bad. I was drooling all over myself. I need a baba. You guys would be like, there is something wrong with that man. Because I should be grown up. We get it physically. But see, then when it comes to spiritual things, we give ourselves a pass. We get saved, and then years go by, and years go by, and we're still little bitty babies. We don't know the word. We, don't, we haven't grown in the Lord. We're still doing things in the world. See, that's not God's plan for you. His plan for you is not to get saved and stay the same, little, little spiritual babies to be growing and maturing like the psalmist here, to have this relationship, this, this trust, this foundation to where when things get difficult, you can look back and say, Lord, I know you're going to see me through tomorrow because you saw me through yesterday. So important. Don't give yourself a, a pass on spiritual maturity. And honestly, that's one of my biggest prayers for us as a body of believers. Lord, that we would continue to grow in your word. Each one of us individually, super important uh, don't underestimate that. Don't, don't overlook that. Uh, thirdly, uh, he was a man who trusted the Lord. That's what he opened up his psalm with. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Verse 1 says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. He put his, his trust in the Lord in that moment of crisis, in that moment of difficulty, in that day of trouble. And when I'm in trouble, when you're in trouble, there's always that temptation to put our trust in something else, to put our trust in our talents, to put our trust in our intelligence or ingenuity or our finances or our friends or whatever. But we have that tendency, that temptation to say, I'll handle this on my own. But all of those things, friends, finances, your own, they will all fail you. The Lord will never fail you. We are to trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of our ways, and then he will direct our steps. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, because it takes those two things that we wrestle with, trusting the Lord with all of our heart and leaning on our own understanding, and puts them in juxtaposition. Because you can't really do those two things at the same time. You're either leaning on your own understanding, you're either surveying the horizon and saying, okay, this is what I think I should do based on my own understanding, or I'm trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, I know you're leading them this way and it's scary and it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to go that way. And when we do, he directs our steps. But it requires faith. It requires us to trust the Lord, to step out, to, to trust the Lord with all of our hearts. Hebrews gives us the definition of what faith is there in Hebrews 11. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, pistis is the, the Greek word. Pistuo is the, is the word off of that. It means to trust. To trust the Lord is pistuo. And the idea, pistuo, means to, to rest the weight of your life upon something. To, to let the weight of your life rest on something. Have you guys ever been up to Castle Lake in the wintertime? It's above uh, Siskiyou Lake there, Lake Siskiyou. It always freezes over. And I always go up there with friends who love to walk out on the ice. 
I am not the kind of guy who likes to walk out on the ice. I, I, just, I just don't like it. And so they're out there jumping. It's fine. It's safe. I'm like, I don't know, man. Come on. And so, okay, we're good. And then a little bit more. It, when you rest the weight, I'm resting the weight of my life upon the ice. That's what it means, Pastua, to trust the Lord with all of your heart. And that's what the psalmist did. Sometimes when we are in those times of difficulty, it doesn't make sense. But we can trust the Lord, and he will direct our steps if we trust him. Don't ever uh, forget that. Uh, also, the psalmist, uh, he said, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. Now, the idea uh, of being a refuge has the, uh, the connotation of being a hiding place, a place of safety, a place where you run from danger. Absolutely. But it also means uh, a place where you reside, a place of rest. Because it's interesting, uh, in uh, verse 3, he says, uh, Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. There's that connection to where uh, his uh, refuge is and to where he's going to resort, where he's going to be. And it's, it's kind of an interesting play on words when you think about resort. Where do you go to resort? Where do you go to find rest? And when I, I say that, often... You know, maybe even this morning you think of, where do I go to a resort? You think of a resort. Maybe you think of Disneyland. You guys like Disneyland? It's the happiest place on earth, I'm told. I've been there a couple times, actually. And you Disney, it seems like there's people who are like, Disney, and there's people who are like, Disney. Like, they got the ears and the shirts, and you're going to be mad at me, you Disney people. Because when I went to Disney, the, 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 the two memories that stick out most in my mind was, first of all, how expensive everything was. I mean, you want $25 for a smoked turkey leg? That, that's, I mean, it's a good turkey leg. And the, the, the little pineapple things, they're good too, but they're not like 15 bucks good. I'm just saying. Uh, everything is so expensive. Secondly, uh, my feet hurt so bad. I don't know if I'm, I'm missing something in the Disney. Like there's, yeah, anyways. Uh, I did not feel rested. I did not feel refreshed from that particular uh, vacation. I remember we were camping one time in Yellowstone, and, you know, we, we settle into camp, and it's been a long day, and we, we pop open the cooler, and we're like, oh, blueberries, like they're cold, and the strawberries, and they had kind of mixed in with the ice chest, ice, but it wasn't a big deal, and me and the kids are just scarfing them down, and, you know, the berries are almost gone, and, and then I realized that the berries weren't the only thing that spilled into the ice water. There was some raw chicken that I brought against my wife. It'll be fine. Throw that in there too. And then so I'm like, oh, we're going to die. We all have salmonella. And so after we waited like 45 minutes and no one started violently puking, we said, oh, right, let's go check some stuff out. And we went and checked. And then it started to rain. And so we're like, oh, we better get back to camp. Well, we discovered that we pitched our tent in the very lowest point of the whole entire campground. And so there was like water everywhere. And that's where the bison also went through, which is cool. But the bison, they leave little presents, big presents, actually, all through camp. And so I'll tell you, when we came home from those trips, not rested. I didn't feel like, whew, that was a resort. I felt like, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. That's a phrase for a reason. But I also remember back, be, you know, when my kids were little and before I was a pastor and you know, we'd go up to Applegate Christian Fellowship, that was our church, and we'd just go up there to church, Sundays and Wednesdays, and that's just what we did. And there were a lot of Wednesday nights where I was like, oh, man, I'm tired, it was a long day, and I'm hungry, and we don't really have gas money, and do we really need to go? And, and we didn't really feel like going to, to church. I'm sorry, you have to hear your pastor say that. There was times when I didn't feel like going to church. 
But you know what happened when I, we'd go? Because that's what we did. And we'd sit at the Lord's feet and we'd worship him and we'd study his word. And that is where I found refreshment. That, that's where the Lord met me. That's where the Lord filled me up. That's where I, it's amazing the way that the Lord does that. And so the psalmist here, he understood Man, continually, even in those times of difficulty, I'm going to resort in the Lord. Continually, during times of difficulty. And we should take note of that uh, also. Um, also, the, the psalmist was uh, a man of, of great hope. He had hope in the Lord. I feel like I'm skipping something, so if it seems I'm going to flip back and forth, that's all right, though. It doesn't matter. Oh, yes, I am. It's right there. Found it. Found my place. Uh, he's a rock. That's what, so as you read through Psalm 71, there, there's several things that the psalmist says. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my hope. Lord, you are my... And, and so the psalmist just makes these uh, observations. He, he makes these declarations, things that we've talked about, that the Lord was his rock, right? that God was his foundation, it's super important for us that God is our foundation. Uh, Jesus talked about uh, the person who builds his life uh, upon his own understanding and upon his own way. It's like a man who builds a house on the sand. And when the storm comes, the house fails. It, it, it's swallowed up by the flood. But the person who builds his life according to the precepts and the truths of God's word, boy, he's like the man who builds his house on the solid rock. And when the storm comes, he's fine. Jesus is that rock. Jesus is our foundation. It's so important as Christians that our lives are not built on our careers or our standing socially or our financial portfolio, but our lives are built upon the person of Jesus Christ. Super important. It was key for the psalmist. It's also key for us. He was also a man of great hope. Uh, he hoped in the Lord. Uh, and the interesting thing about the word hope is that in our language, we throw the word hope around very flippantly. Uh, we hope for this. We hope for that. It's hope with a question mark. And I, I hope that we have pizza after lunch. I hope that my team wins. I hope that fill in the blank. But it's hope. Uh, there's an uncertainty connected to that. Biblical hope, the biblical definition of hope is the absolute assurance of coming good. Again, the psalmist being somebody who has uh, uh, been walking with the Lord for a long time can say, listen, I have this absolute assurance of coming good. I know that the Lord means good for me. I know that, that heaven is waiting for me. I know that the Lord is going to see me through based upon their history uh, with the Lord. And as a result, as a result of recognizing the Lord as the rock and as their hope and trusting in the Lord and, and being spiritually mature and being a man of the word, uh, we see something in the psalmist, that the psalmist is a, a man of uh, prayer, that the psalmist is a, a man of praise, and that the psalmist is a man of remembrance. You see, it's interesting. The psalmist just is pouring out his heart here to the Lord throughout this whole thing. And it's so important for us to remember as we're going through things as believers that we have this open line of communication with the Lord. We can always pour our hearts out to him. And we talk about prayer all the time. I've said it so many times. The, the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means that the prayer changes things. Like literally, physically, in our lives, Pray, and people are healed, and things are changed. Uh, but also, prayer changes my heart. So often I find that I go to the Lord in prayer when I'm having a, a difficult thing going on. And you know what? Sometimes my circumstances don't change at all, but you know what the Lord changes is my heart. 
It's so important that we go to the Lord in prayer. He was a man of prayer, but he was also a man of praise. There in verse 7, verse 14, we see the shift. that he, He's kind of going through these difficulties, but he says, but, I'm going through all this, but I'm going to praise you, Lord. I'm going through all these hardships, but I'm going to sing your praise. Sometimes the last thing I feel like doing when my life seems like it's just circling the drain is praising the Lord. But it's the most important thing that we can do. For when we praise the Lord, we experience freedom, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Think about Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas, they were arrested for preaching the gospel. This was not like the YPD showing up and having some casual words and, all right, turn around, I'm just going to handcuff you and stick you in there and you get put into a nice little jail cell. No, they got beat down. They got chained to the wall and there was guards that were there with them the whole time. And you know what they did? You guys know the story in Acts. They praised the Lord. They just, they lifted up a song of praise and what happened? The earth shook. The, the prison doors fell off the hinges. Their chains fell off their arms. They're free to go. They experience great freedom. And when in the midst of difficulty we praise the Lord, man, we experience great freedom. We experience great joy. Jesus, when he was on his way to the cross, remember what he did? He sang a hymn. So key. I'm telling you, next time you're having a bad day, just bail. Hop in your car, hit the freeway, crank up some worship music, and sing like you just got it. Sing praise to the Lord. It doesn't matter if someone's watching you or not. It's on them. And just watch. Freedom happens. He was a man of praise. But then he was a man of remembrance. And I can't stress this enough. Remember how the Lord has seen you through in the past. It's so key. I'm so fickle. We are so fickle. We're all fickle as human beings. Man, the Lord will see us through and see us through and see us through. And I go to the Lord, Lord, I was having such a hard time. And Lord, would you please? And he brings deliverance and he brings, uh, you know, resource. And, and I'm like, thank you, Lord. And then 15 minutes later, I'm, I'm in a bad situation. I'm like, oh, Lord, you've forsaken me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I just helped you. I just remember. Remember the times when the Lord has delivered you. It really is key. And that's what the psalmist did. Uh, I know I gave you a lot to chew on uh, this morning. I recognize that. Um, but Jesus told us, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. But like I always say, I'm so glad that he didn't leave it there. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so the next time you face a bad day or a bad diagnosis or bad news or whatever it is, Man, lean into the Lord. Trust the Lord. Uh, remember the psalmist and be a man or a woman of the word. Be a man uh, or woman of spiritual maturity. Say, oh, Pastor Jeremy, it's too late. It's never too late. Start growing in the Lord today. Go all in with the Lord today. Be a man or a woman of faith when you rest your weight upon the weight of your life upon the Lord. Be a man or a woman who finds their rest resorting in the Lord. Be a man or a woman who builds his life upon the Lord. A man or woman whose hope is in the Lord. A man or woman of prayer and praise. A man or woman of remembrance. Super important. And we get to do just that this morning. As we close out our service, as we always do, we get to go to the table of communion. And the whole point of communion is to remember. Man, I love this anchor in my life. That every week we come to this place and we say, all right, I'm going to stop. 
I'm going to remember who Jesus is. I'm going to remember what Jesus did, and I'm going to remember who I am as a result. Because the thing is, we walk out these doors, and we go into the world, and we go into our jobs, and we go into our roles. And man, it's so easy for us to get sucked into just life, and we forget. But this morning, at this time, this is the time when we say, Lord, I'm coming, and I'm going to remember. And we get to do just that. Come and thank the Lord for his goodness towards us. As we take the bread, we remember, Lord, this is your body. All, all, all the beatings and the trials and the mockery and the abuse, you took that from me. That's what I deserved. And you took it upon yourself that I might experience freedom and joy. As we take the, the cup of juice, Jesus' blood, man, what a reminder that we are free. Though our sins were as scarlet, we've been washed white as snow. We've been justified by the blood of Christ, just as though we've never sinned. Our sin has been taken away from us as far as the east is from the west, put into a bag, thrown into the depths of the sea, and remembered no more. That is good news. So as you go to the table and remember, thank the Lord and rejoice in what he's done. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. 